Hey everyone, we're back after another week of, you know, pretty much nothing. We're just going to ignore the fact that they lost yet again. Uh, we're not going to ignore that. That's the only reason we're here, basically. So, my name's Dan. I'm joined by John. And John, they blew another lead. They blew it again. And not just one, several. No, they blew it twice. Hell, they didn't even wait very long for the second one. It was almost as if... Uh, it was a fast food joint you know they just said oh here's your order bam here's your here's your goal against here's your equalizer next shift service with a smile if you were an arizona fan you were smiling if you were a devil's fan you were just sad sad again yeah and it was weird this game i felt like they actually played pretty well i thought i mean the first period was the probably the best period they've played all season long and the, there. Yeah. the latter couple they did still have their moments and it just felt like while Ronta was stopping everything after the first period, you know, Zaka breakaway notwithstanding, everything was going in. Every single opportunity was going in the other way. There were odd man rushes, and it's not like Arizona had too many shots. In fact, it's the fewest that the Devils have allowed in a loss since also against Arizona, I think back in 2007 or something like that. Yeah, I mean, from the standpoint of shots, Corsi expected goals overall it looks like the devils dominated the game and found a way to lose it truth be told the game was a lot more even in the second and third periods it was just it was a very low event game you know a lot of, a lot of hard work a lot of effort was spent yielding not a whole lot from either side and uh once again the devils found a way to blow it despite the the big difference uh, between shots and the big difference in attempts and the big difference in expected goals uh, overall. It really just felt like every time the Coyotes took the puck up ice, it was going to end up in the back of the Devil's Net. And I don't know. Yeah. It didn't even look like a lot of those were Blackwood's fault. It, it looked like mm. maybe one or two of them, but not all two of them. Yeah. Two of them were like grade A, like if you miss that chance – there was a horrible defensive breakdown that had to lead to someone being that open. And guess what? We are very familiar with horrible defensive breakdowns this year. But yet again, they dropped a game on home ice in which they maintained a lead, dropping their record to 2-5-2. Two, two. Uh, mm-hmm. However, the very good news that came out of that game was that Jack Hughes had a three-point night and seems to have finally found his stride in the last couple of games after struggling through the opening five games. And that makes what's the law. That's what makes the loss so difficult to digest. Dan, mm-hmm. we should be talking about Jack Hughes's emergence, the ascendancy of the big deal. The big deal is starting to look like the big deal that we all thought we were drafted. But instead, despite setting up Paul Zaka with a beautiful pass for a beautiful breakaway goal, we have to talk about how the Devils lost this game and how they were booed off the ice by the end of the game, yet again. And we have to talk about how they deserve that, yet again. <sighs> and yes, Antiranta played out of his mind in that third period. At the same time, however, it begs the question, this team is too fragile. It's entirely too fragile because they don't play with the right mindset. They don't play with the right amount of effort when they're in a lead. Even when they gave up, gave up that goal in the th- early in the third period where Arizona went up 4-3, the Devils' response was disjointed they were out of sorts they whereas arizona responded to their own deficit by just going oh well the devils are up on us but we know full well if we just keep chipping away at them we will get back in this game and lo and behold they did the devils just haven't learned that yet and even though jack hughes himself had a great night that gets overshadowed 
by yet another depressing and disappointment of a defeat. Yeah, and to, to fold that into his great night, it was a power play goal that got him his uh, his goal of the night, and the penalty kill was great again. So Yeah, perfect. You, they allowed nothing. No shots against. You figure, you know, we were talking about how special teams were killing them and they had to figure it out. And it looks like even when they do, they still can't maintain a lead. And granted, this isn't the Arizona team of the last couple of years. They've strung together some wins as well and looked pretty impressive doing so. And they were also, uh, credit to them, you know, coming off of two games in the New York area. So not that they had to travel far, but they've been away from home for a while. They're actually, at the mm-hmm. time of recording, playing in Buffalo right now. So they've been out for a long time, too, and they managed to stay in this game after going down to nothing and again a big part of that was the devils not being able to maintain momentum period to period they gave up another late period goal which uh, cut the lead to 2-1 and it was maybe a minute and a half into the second when Arizona tied it up a couple a couple more minutes in but you're absolutely mm-hmm. right Dan that you know, on paper, this was a schedule win. The Devils had six days off to prepare for this game. They had multiple practices. They had loads of extra time to prepare. Mackenzie Blackwood was able to become sick and then become healthy enough to play. And whereas Arizona, they were playing their third game in, the four, in their fourth night and looked every bit of it in that first period. Mm-hmm. And yet, the Devils found a way to blew it. And you're absolutely right. They did it again the same way. End of the period, last shift of the period, the normally responsible line of Travis Zajac, Wayne Simmons, and Blake Coleman they just lost the plot. Totally. And Andy Green, who normally is smarter than than that on that play, lost the plot again. Let leaves his guy to, with too much space. Screen in front, beats Blackwood. Hey, your 2-0 suddenly becomes a 2-1 and everybody starts worrying again. And then PK Subban gambled at the point on the power play, which is why he's on the second unit. Instead it's why Sammy Vatnin has replaced him on the first unit. Michael Grabner, who we all know and don't really love because he was a disappointment in New Jersey, took that puck, took it to the house, and even though Blackwood tracked it, he just got beaten straight up on the breakaway. Mm -hmm. 2-2. You're not even, you know, I know people were talking about, oh, you know, you got to defend the lead better. The lead didn't last very long. Like, <laughs> like it, it, in a matter of less than five minutes of game time, Arizona turned this back to a 2-2 game. They, they basically flipped the script. They reset the bracket, so to speak. And the Devils just went, just went into a second period where both teams were content to just do as little as possible outside of one amazing play by Jack Hughes and then one horrible breakdown by the Devils on the very next shift that led to Oliver ekman Larson beating uh, Blackwood straight up in a goal allowed that I honestly thought in retrospect Schneider should have came in immediately for Blackwood. It, it was clear that Blackwood did not have the goods that night. And I think he even admitted after the game he was still feeling the effects of his illness. Which yeah. begs the question, why are you starting the guy who's not 100% after a six-day break? Well, exactly. Yes. When they announced him as the starter, I was just confused. It was like he had a quote where he was like, I thought I was going to die on Tuesday. You don't put someone in goal after that. Exactly. I don't care if he had a shutout on Saturday. That was six days ago. It doesn't matter what happened nearly a week ago. I mean, your hand is not hot anymore. Right. It cooled off just by being idle. You know, I mean, when I saw that Blackwood was a starter, I just assumed, okay, this is the this is a clear sign as any that the Devils think that Blackwood is the number one guy. You know, he's their man. He's number one. Not anymore. 
Well, and, and he still well might be, but the circumstances were that, again, he had this flu and they were talking about it all week. He hadn't practiced all week. So maybe even if you think he's your number one guy, maybe just err on the side of caution and throw Schneider in there because he hadn't seen game action in a while, but he also wasn't battling the flu. He also, exactly. you know, the, the thing about this also is that it truly astounds me how Michael Grabner finds a way to score on every single breakaway except for that moment of time where he was playing for the Devils. Seriously, this guy scores on so many breakaways and scores the same goal every single time and managed to do it how many times? Once for New Jersey? Once. Despite multiple breakaways, too. It's not like he wasn't getting his breakaways in New Jersey. He was. He just wasn't finishing. So uh, it's 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 things like that that really you know, drive me over the edge. You see these players doing these things for other teams that, you know, they had flashes of in Jersey, but they just couldn't finish. I mean, watching the Sabres play the Coyotes, um, as I am tonight outside of this recording, you see Johansson setting up passes, and he did that in New Jersey, but he was a different player during the playoffs for Boston last year. And again, it just seems like he had a bad run of health when he was here, and then he leaves, and all of a sudden things are great again. Well, you know, it begs the question, what is the coach telling him? Mm-hmm. What, is, what are his teammates doing to help him? And just as importantly, it could be just happenstance. It could be just that, you know, everybody goes through their own slumps and struggles in their career. You know, not everybody scores on every game, you know. And it just happened that the Devils, you know, rolled and lost every dice roll every time they had Grabner out there or some or Johansson or whatever, the, whoever else uh, you want to pick out. Because it just happens. Like some, some stays are just, well, they just don't work. And in those cases. But that's in the past. Mm-hmm. What we need to be more concerned about is the present. And the lasting image to me in this game, outside of the fact that whoever was remaining at the Rock on Friday was booing the team off the ice yet again, was the game-winning goal that Arizona scored. Mm-hmm. Let me break this down for you, Dan. I I feel like this deserves a breakdown because it kind of sums up how this season has gone so far. Oh, and let's mention that it was a first NHL goal, too. Yes. I mean, that's that's not the part that that ranks. No, no. But I I, want to just do some research into this maybe for next episode about how many first NHL goals the Devils have allowed. Well, it's a a pretty well, it's a large list, but. You know, keep in mind the one of the greatest goaltenders of the game. He played forever, so of course he's going to have a long list. It's like uh, it's like uh, you look at anybody's stats and say baseball. You know, whoever struck out the most. Well, he also played for a million years, so of course he's going to have lots of strikeouts. That's just how it works. Anyway, here's the play. PK Subban. I like PK Subban, Dan. He's normally somebody you trust. To make a pass out of the zone into the neutral zone. Mm. He caught the puck. It's the it's early in the third period. His partner, Damon Severson, playing on his offhand, decided to go to the bench to change. Figuring Subban was gonna make this pass. And at the same time, I think Kevin Rooney was also coming off the ice as well. So in the neutral zone, you had Miles Wood hanging out there as an option, and John Hayden was some some somewhere in space. I'm not exactly sure where. The point is, is that the Devils decided to change while this was, was happening. Subban fires a hard pass into the neutral zone right to a Coyote. The Coyote does not collect the puck, but Miles Wood tries to. Miles Wood had a good chance to keep the puck. Then in stretching for it, he loses possession to, I believe, Tobias Reeder of the Arizona Coyotes. And because the Devils were changing and given that 
Wood lost the puck on the uh, devil's side of the red line. Reader. Oh, no, it was not Reader. Oh, I'm sorry. Reader was was just released by the Flames today. Oh, okay. I'm dating myself from my knowledge of Coyotes. (laughs) I apologize. Um, Goodness. Now, now, Now I'm... I have a feeling I know the guy's name, and it's just not coming. Was it Schmaltz? It could have been Schmaltz. Okay. Possibly Schmaltz. We'll go with that. I'll, I'll hedge my bets a little bit. The point is, is that the Coyote took the turnover from Wood, which in of itself was difficult because Subban made a terrible pass out of the zone. Because of that, possibly Schmaltz and Barrett Hayton, the rookie Barrett Hayton, top five pick Barrett Hayton, entered the zone in a 2-1-1 with Subban. Earlier in the game, Subban successfully defended a 2-1-1 against by diving and just knocking the puck away from the puck carrier. He decided to try that again on two possibly schmaltz. He dove, however, into a place I'll call oblivion because he did not get the puck. He did not get the puck carrier. He got nothing. He, he gambled on a, on a big, dramatic diving uh, play to dispossess the coyote, and he failed miserably. So possibly Schmaltz made an easy pass to a crashing Barrett Hayton. Blackwood is completely out of sorts going from post to post to the point where he's actually in his own net. And Hayton just taps it in. 4-3. Everybody's unhappy except for the Coyotes and the 10 fans who are at the game who traveled or live in the area who are from Arizona or however they became Coyote fans. I don't know. And it all started with just one breakdown, one bad pass during an inopportune time to change, exacerbated by a turnover by that wonderful fourth line of Miles Wood in this case, and Subban gambling and losing and Blackwood suffering because of it. Those are five major points that I think we've seen multiple times in this season, Mm -hmm. which makes everybody just very disappointed and very unhappy with the coaching, the instruction the execution, the communication, the leadership, and just the overall effort level from the players. I, I, I think I that covers the gamut of a, what a lot of things are frustrated on. And a, a failed attempt to start some offense, a failed attempt to make a play, a failed attempt in the neutral zone, just failure. A whole lot of failure. Six days off they had to prepare for this one, Dan. So it kind of goes both ways, right? Because they had the long layover, but as just as they were finally starting to build some momentum games-wise, like they were kind of starting to figure out how to defend properly and how to lock down a lead, and all of a sudden they don't play for a week. They go away and just have practices, and you know they always talk about matching the intensity, but guess what? It's never going to be the same as in the game. And now between this game and the next one they've had five day they're going to have five days off and it's up against Tampa Bay who is a much more oh god i mean their their record against Tampa Bay over the last couple of years understandably because Tampa Bay's been in contender status for a little bit now it's been abysmal they get bullied by them all the time you know the year yeah. they lost them in the playoffs they beat them three times in the season but then they lost in five games so Right. And even then, those three wins, one of which was um, Eddie Lack playing out of his mind and Andre Veseleski having one of the worst games of his season. Yeah. Like a lot of a lot of things went the devil's way in those games. The sad thing is that this is the year you want to play Tampa Bay because their start to the season hasn't exactly been so dominating. They're currently sitting at five, three and two. Mm -hmm. They're not a playoff team at this moment. 
They're they're outside on the wild card, hanging out with Montreal and Columbus in terms of points. Granted, you look at you look at the past pedigree, and more importantly, you look at the players that they have. They're still a terrifyingly offensive threat. Mm-hmm. And now the Devils have to run with. Hopefully, you have a healthy Blackwood, or you're giving Corey Schneider his first start since Columbus Day. And you're going to somehow try to match these guys up so somehow you can quell all the different weapons from the Kucherovs to the points, to the Stamkoses, to the Palats, to... Um, I mean, to even the, the defensemen are having good starts. Shattenkirk's putting everything in right now. Exactly. I mean, you you know, those the, the, the Devil's wingers, they better be on point on Wednesday. But we know full well they haven't been on point helping on defense this season. Right. So it, it's just like... This, this is maddening. Like, this is just absolutely madness. And when you're in a tailspin like the one the Devils are in, it's really hard to figure out what's going to end it. Maybe it doesn't end. Or if it ends, it's going to be far too late before for them to salvage from it. Well, we said going into this home stretch, right, they had six games. And what I'll, you know, at least I'll um, echo Greg Wyshynski here in saying that Hines had to win at least half of them to feel like he has a little bit more of a leash. That chance goes way down now after you blow this other lead at home. And, you know, this is the second time they've done it in this homestand, but they've got two games left in the homestand. And to try and win one of Tampa or Philly, who's been playing pretty well recently, uh, with the exception of the game against the Islanders, who themselves have been absolutely on fire, those are not two easy games. The the games that you have to win are the ones that you play against fatigued teams on long road trips, not teams on your coast who are supposed to be playoff contenders. So it's do or die basically. Yeah. And, and and it's exasperated by the fact that they had the lead on Florida. They had the lead on Arizona and they botched it. If they win those two games, we sit here and go, Hey, if you can get a point or two out of those, uh, out of the Tampa Bay and the Philly game, Okay, it's not ideal. I mean, nobody likes to lose to the Flyers, but hey, it's not so bad because you won those games against Florida and Arizona. Well, you don't have that anymore. And it gets worse, Dan, because after Philly, they start a five-game road trip. And if this team is getting bossed around on their own rink, how do you think they're going to do it on the road when they don't have the last change? Because they get to start this trip in Carolina on Saturday, which is after the Philly game. Carolina will have played the night before in uh they put they host Detroit, so at least Carolina won't be super fresh either. But Carolina's really good in five on five hockey, and the Devils are simply not. That's not going to bode well. Then they go to Winnipeg in the following week. They do Calgary and Edmonton back to back, and they go back to Vancouver on November 10th. That's your Western Canada road trip, and just like last season, where their seven game road trip became a road trip from hell and pretty much doomed the season. We could be looking at something very similar before they come back home and play Ottawa on, on November 13th. Yeah, and this it, is it's stunning that despite all the changes that the team has made, despite all, you know, the the changes that you loved, I loved, the people loved, the fans all around the world thought this was going to be a much better team, much more offensively oriented, it was going to be a much more exciting, there, there's going to be a lot more to cheer for. And instead, we're seeing a repeat of this and it boggles my mind that some fans want to look at the coaching staff and, and look at how things are done on the ice and just go, nope, this is fine. It's not fine, Dan. It's not fine at all. No, it's it's as frustrating as they've been at home with all these blown leads. 
they have been non-existent on the road. They've been outscored 14 to 2. They haven't really been in any of their road games. So if you oh. don't make your final stand here to close out this homestand, I really don't see any indications that would get much better when they're out to Western Canada, which is a trip that they've historically struggled in, as we've talked yeah. about in the past. Lots of teams struggle on the trip. It is not an easy trip, and it's even harder this year because Edmonton's actually not a scrub team. Mm-hmm. They may be top-heavy, but they're not scrubs. Yeah. And ditto for Vancouver. Vancouver, you know, the Devils, in a way, got lucky to win that game one nothing. You know, do you think Vancouver's going to host them on Sunday, November 10th, and just go, eh, we're just going to do the same thing? No, they're going to get some revenge. They're going to look for it. It, 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 it. It's not easy at all. And after that trip, you know, you got the rest of November, which is more home-heavy, but guess what? You got Pittsburgh, you got Boston, you got Minnesota – you got our hated rivals at the end of the month. Like you, these games, are, these you're not going to have six or four day breaks anymore. These are going to be games where you're going to have a game the next day, the game one day later or two days later, and that's it. So not a lot of time for practice, not a lot of time for recovery and preparation. You got to figure, you have to have this stuff figured out by now. And the harsh reality is they don't. Mm-hmm. And what makes this worse is that seemingly everyone else in the division, except probably the Rangers continues to win games they're stacking up wins in the top of the metro oh, yeah. and the middle of the metro is looking pretty competitive honestly it oh, looks yeah. like anyone could make it except realistically the rangers and devils exactly if you read the division snapshot which you should every sunday that's precisely why i do those posts to highlight the fact that look yeah we can sit here and talk about all oh, the devils are just three wins from being a 500 500 doesn't cut it in the nhl anymore you got to be closer to 60 percent in terms of points, if you want to make it to the postseason. And it may shock you, but a five-point gap or an eight-point gap, I should say, between the Devils and Pittsburgh, who are in the wild card right now, that's a massive gap to make up, even with the games in hand that the Devils have on them. That's a lot of points to earn because it means you got to win your games, and then you got to hope everyone else around you loses. And unfortunately, with the way this, the, this league is set up, and more importantly, because the other teams aren't scrub teams, they're going to get points. So it's you get it's you know the devils do not control a lot of their own destiny at this point. It's somewhat defeatist to say that on October 28th, but that's that's what happens when you start so poorly. That's the reality of it and that's why it's so hard for these teams to make a big comeback. St. Louis notwithstanding from last season. Yeah, and they're going to be in the bottom of the NHL standings until at least, you know, they play their next game and a lot of that is the fact that they've only played 9 while some teams have played, you know, 12, 13 games, but you can't look at those and be like, "Oh, yes, games in hand are opportunities for us to catch up." It's more like, "Oh boy, how can we blow these three or four games in hand that we have?" Because they're basically meaningless given what we've seen to start the season. They have two wins in their first nine games, and that is not good. That is not okay. No. And on top of that, you know, you look at some of the other numbers here. You know, while, yeah, it's bad that the Devils have allowed 36 goals in nine games. I mean, obviously, you know, the goaltending hasn't hasn't bailed out the Devils nearly enough as they should. But the more distressing number is 22, Dan. Mm -hmm. That's how many goals scored this team has had. This team has... Taylor Hall, Kyle Palmieri, Nico Heischer, and to a lesser extent, Jesper Bratt, Blake Coleman, um, Sammy Vatnin, Damon Severson, Will Butcher. And they added P.K. Subban. They added Wayne Simmons. They added Nikita Gusev. And they added this and they added the big deal, Jack Hughes. And somehow, some way, this is one of the least offensive teams. And the I think the lowest. Yeah, they're right now as right now in the NHL. They are the lowest scoring team in the NHL. 
how. That's almost impressive of how you undercut that much talent and get so little out of it. Well, yeah, you mentioned that um, a big part of that is Taylor Hall. And I want to take a quick break here because I know that you went in depth here. So let's pause for a moment or two uh, while we gather our thoughts and get a little less heated. And we'll be right back after the break. Mm -hmm. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welcome back. And like we said, one of those talking points, you know, a lot of that offensive talent on New Jersey has really not been performing up to expectation. We started the season by saying if a lot of these X factors go on the positive end of where they could be, then they're in pretty good shape. And it looks like everyone's been on the negative end, including Taylor Hall, who went into the season, you know, he would have been a short thing if he played more than 33 games last season, but we wouldn't, we didn't know what he would look like after missing so much of the last campaign. So Spoiler alert, it has not been great. It has not been no. the Taylor Hall that carried them all the way to the playoffs essentially by himself. And I know you went more in depth on that in this week's uh, post on All About the Jersey. So you want to tell us a little bit more uh, detail on what we need to see from Hall moving forward in order to propel this team back into any sort of relevant conversations. The biggest thing that Taylor Hall needs to be much better in is his overall performances in five-on-five hockey. I'm going to read off his the on-ice rates from when Taylor Hall is on the ice in five-on-five hockey. This is all from Natural Stat Trick, and these are all percentages. So break-even for these percentages is 50%, mm-hmm. meaning that if you're on the ice and you are and you have a, so let's say, a shots for percentage of 50%, that means your team is taking 50% of the shots when you're on the ice. So you're literally breaking even. Obviously, you want to be above 50%. And yes, goals are important, but shots happen more often. Shooting attempts happen more often. Scoring chances happen even more often. So obviously, if you're on the ice for when your team is taking more of them than the other, other team, then that means we can credibly say you're contributing to the offense. Here are Hall's current percentages. In, for Corsi, which is shooting attempts, blocks, misses, shots on net, it is 43.8%. Oof. For shots, just shots on net, forget the blocks, forget the misses, it's 41.5%. For scoring chances, that's shots from the uh, from the crease out to the tops of the circles, it, from the dots inward, so kind of like a home plate, that's 42.7%. For high danger scoring chances, which are typically the, the shots in the slot and at the crease, you know, the, the goal scorers areas, if you will, it's 45.7%. And expected goals, which is a model based on all the stuff that happens on the ice, where shots are taken, where shots are allowed, they're based on historical data about how many goals should have been scored based on this. He is, he is Hall is sitting at 39.5%. And in all of these cases, Dan, it's not a case of like high events where there's a lot of offense happening and it's just that the Devils are allowing a ton. It's the Devils are allowing a ton and there's not that much offense happening at mm-hmm. all. Like his expected goals percentage is slightly worse than Kevin Rooney and slightly better than Matt Tennyson. 
Yeah, that's not where that's you really want to terrible. be in a depth chart. And, and, and here's the thing, Dan. As bad as last season was, as bad as last season was, Hall actually broke 50% in Corsi and the expected goals and a number of these other stats in those 33 games. No matter how bad the team became in those 33 games, Hall was still putting up the goods, so to speak. Instead, we have Hall performing at a level that is worse than an NHL fourth liner should be. Mm-hmm. And it's actually, and as much as consternation and uproar has been about whether or not Jesper Broad is playing or Jesper Bulkvist is playing or John Hayden is playing or Kevin Rooney is playing, the issue with Hall is much worse because Hall plays that much more than all of those players. Because Hall is your leading forward in five-on-five hockey. Hall is your main man in five-on-five hockey. Hall is drawing top-level matchups like he has been all his career. And yet this is the season where he is getting, and, and by extension the team, is getting overwhelmed. This man is clearly the most offensively talented player that the team has right now, Jack Hughes' emergence notwithstanding. And he's not even being on offense the majority of the time when he's out there. And as much as you know, I could point to the coaching pointing to some of the instructions, who he's playing with, and so forth. A lot of that hasn't changed. He's played mostly with Nico Heischer. He's only played with Jack Hughes in the last couple of games because of Heischer's injury and coming back from injury recently against Arizona. He's played opposite of Kyle Palmieri, which he's been doing for years. He's played with Damon Severson behind him before. He's played with P.K. P.K. Subban is relatively new, but the defensemen have been rotating behind him, and he's familiar with Vatnin. He's familiar with Butcher. He's familiar with Mueller. He's familiar with, to a lesser extent, Carrick. So it's not like Hall is in this brand new situation with new coaches and new, excuse me, new completely new teammates and, and anything else. But he's getting hammered every time he steps on the ice, and that's much worse than if Kevin Rooney gets hammered because Kevin Rooney's only going to play 10 minutes anyway. Taylor Hall is going to play close to 14, 15 minutes a night at fit five on five. And if you're in a situation where you need a goal, he's going to play even more. And it's not happening. So that's the thing that Hall has to get much better in because ultimately, as much as I could say, the coach has got to change this, this, and this with him. The reality is Hall's got to perform much better. And for the fact that he is in a contract here, he presumably wants a lot of money from whoever he wants to sign with, whether it's New Jersey or Edmonton or Winnipeg or whoever. This is not money. This this is not all-star level performances. So he's not going to get all-star level money unless teams want to believe that he's going to return to some form here. Because right now he has been playing rather poorly, despite the fact that he is leading the team in shots and leading the team in points. Because every time he steps on the ice in five on five hockey, the Devils are mostly playing defense. And that means Hall is not doing what he's trying to make money trying to do. And and you can bet that he knows it too. I mean, he's well aware of all the converging situations that are happening with him right now. And you can see it in the way that he's playing too. He's playing angry, but he's playing a version of angry that borderlines on reckless. He's playing, you know, he's gripping the stick too tight and taking weird offensive zone penalties, weird cross checks, you know, hits to the head, these kinds of things. He took away a power play in Arizona, which was just mindless. (laughs) Yeah. After they had already converted on the power play. So it's just, it's, He's he's playing really angry and he can feel a lot of pressure, it seems. And, you know, with him, 
a 2.8 shooting percentage is not bound to continue. And Oh, no, he's been remarkably unlucky as well. I will grant him that. Well, let's throw, throw in the fact that he plays on the power play with Simmons in front of the net, and Simmons has been cursed by the gods themselves. So, oh, yeah. you know, he could have had a couple more points easily in there, and maybe if some of those shots go in, some of his, um, you know, weirdly low shooting percentage... Uh, goes up a little bit or Simmons manages to find the back of the net, which it's still a miracle that he didn't manage to do that against Arizona because God knows he had the chances to do so. And everything was pointing to him scoring a goal that night when instead the other player who was tied for the most shots without a goal this season found the back of the net in uh, Clayton Keller. It, It just seems like that's the kind of thing that goes against you when the rest of the team is also feeling the effects of a frustrating start to the season. It's, it's that kind of thing that just piles right. on. You're like, really this too? Like I have to contend with this. So you can bet he's feeling that he's well aware of what the situation is. And I, that's all bound to improve, but how much will it improve by? Will it improve to a level where he can have those nights where he just puts the team on his back and leads to a couple wins. And the idea to get him more talent was meant so that he wouldn't have to do that as often, but you know, he's still taking, Taylor Hall, he still has to do that at some point. Exactly. And it, it is a bit of a chicken or the egg situation to say, well, you know, he needs more talent to succeed more often. And this power play needed more talent to get, succeed more often. Well, Taylor is the top man, on, you know, or one of the top men on the first primary unit. And they didn't score in their first six games. Kyle Palmieri scored on an individual effort in game number seven. And Hall was only, so the, the quote unquote, the power play formation only really yielded a goal on game number eight, which Hall set up Jack Hughes for a score, which was great, but it was after seven or so games of cross-ice passes from Hall, not finding their mark, getting intercepted, missing their mark, him losing the puck, getting the puck knocked away or cleared away. You know, as much as I want to sit here and say, yeah, Hall Hall is unfortunate that the power play sucked, Simmons can't buy a goal, other players can't buy a goal, but at the same time, you know, as you said, you, you you hit on the main point here is that Hall has to understand that he's still a crucial part of this team. And if he wants to be paid an eight figure salary to play hockey, there's going to be that expectation that he's going to have to do that to a degree on most nights. And simply he hasn't. He simply hasn't. I mean, for every good shift or good moment he'll have, he'll get creamed somewhere else or he'll take a dumb penalty or have a bad turnover or just have a completely anonymous shift. And it's concerning that, um, you know, especially in the games against Philadelphia, who, by the way, they'll see again on Friday, Sean Couturier and his line ate his lunch earlier this month. (laughs) They just ate it up completely. And Alexander Barkov on Florida pretty much dumped his books and uh, gave him a wedgie on Columbus Day. I mean, I understand we're nine games into the season, so two bad games could skew things uh, statistically. But at the same time, Hall has been seeing these types of players throughout his career. The fact that now it's it's, it's crushing him only adds to the frustration. And playing anger, playing recklessly and frustrated isn't going to get him out of this. So I don't know if it's going to take a pep talk, somebody throwing a trash can around, uh, going bowling to use the New York Giants <laughs> past experience. I, I think you remember that, uh, that, that little anecdote. Well, I think they may have been doing some other things other than bowling but hey well, it's it's the nfl it could very well be bowling you know yeah you know, sure not everything <laughs> not everything is all party and excitement here it could be just as something as simple as you know you go to you go bowling one night and just go hey let's figure this out yes the nfl and, notoriously controversy free 
Of course. <laughs> the point is, is that something's got to give here. And because Hall, as much as fans are worried about Hall leaving because of the team's poor start and the lack of this, my whole point with the post on Monday is that Hall owns just as much as this poor start as anyone else. And as much as everyone's worried about Hall leaving, I don't think Hall's doing himself any favors about getting paid a lot of money here. Because other teams, they pay attention to this stuff and they may say, well, hold on, Taylor Hall, you're about to turn 30 and you're having a season that's not anything like your MVP season, not even anything like the 33 games you played with a bad Devils team in 2008 and 2019. So precisely why do you want $80 million? And that's a fair question for other teams to ask. I'm sure his agent is probably calling him up saying, yo, Hall, you got to start figuring this out because this is killing your earning power. I mean, I don't care if it's as selfish as that. Like, it's got something's got to change here because what he's doing right now is not functioning. It's not effective. And again, this isn't a 10 minute player like Kevin Rooney. This is your top left winger. He's got to be better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's it's hard to disagree. And just, you know, throwing away the numbers, if you look at him night after night, he's the giveaways are uncharacteristic. There's stuff that, you know, he's just not making the plays that he's not as crisp as he was watching him in years past. He's just not, it's, I don't know what's off, but even after the last game, he seemed to say that, you know, they thought they played a pretty good game. Well, listen, like it would be a good game if you guys ended up winning and didn't blow two leads. Yes, you played well, but there's also another half of the game that you have to acknowledge. You can't just play offense all night long and expect to win the game against the team that seemingly had scored on every single opportunity against you. Yeah, and on top of that, Hall, and he should know this by now, he's a veteran of the league, you can't just play one way in this league. I mean, Hall, like I said, his five-on-five numbers all point to the fact that he's he and and the Devils are playing a lot of defense when he's on on the ice. So guess what, Hall? You got to make the plays on defense and you got to help out. And you can't just collapse in the zone and say, I'm done. Or just hang out on the sideboards and wait for the lead pass to carry it out. Or hang out in the neutral zone and wait for the breakout pass. Like he's, you know, Hall's not a defensively deficient player. He's not on the levels of, say, Nikita Gusev, who I don't think understands the concept of defense, Mm -hmm. at least at the NHL level. You know, Hall knows this, but he's got to be better at this because. Again, ironically, if you want to, if you want, we all want Hall to be in offensive situations. That's that's where he thrives. That's where he makes his money, and that's where he makes all the fans go woo. So that means you got to do better on defense because that's what you're doing a lot of, and you're simply not getting the job done overall this whole season. And as you pointed out, on a couple shifts uh, against Arizona, it didn't happen. Yeah, and I mean, it's just making me upset. Now I'm all now I'm all riled up and. I just, it's it's really hard to look up and see them at the bottom of the NHL standings. But again, they have only themselves to blame. And exactly, maybe some of it is <clears throat> quote unquote the system, which has been oh, yeah. <laughs> bad for several years now. I don't remember them having positive possession numbers over a whole year since like 2013-14, where they guess what missed the playoffs by shootouts. Yes, because they went <laughs> what was that the Owen. 12 year 0 and 11 and 13 oh boy it's worse uh so yeah i mean that kind of variance listen if you're playing at that level and the shootout is what undoes your playoff appearance for you then it's a very specific thing you have to work on but everything else 
is doing things that leads to winning more games than you lose. However, since then, if you don't possess the puck more than 50% of the time, you're going to have a really tough time stringing together any sort of consistency. And that's just been the same thing over and over and over again. You think, okay, maybe they'll address this. Maybe they've got the analytical minds in the front office now. Maybe they'll take a look and be like, okay, maybe whatever we're doing systems-wise isn't working, but... If that system is designed to do that, then it's the players, and the players have changed so much, and the results have been the same every single year. But even so, Dan, it really hasn't changed all that much. Yes, we, we yes, Subban's new, Goosev's new, but Hall is not new. Heischer's not new. Palmieri's not new. Mm-hmm. I mean, and, and got, and, you know, in the cases of Simmons and Subban, they're like, they've been in the NHL. Like, funnily enough, Simmons is actually one of the team's best five-on-five players. That Zajac line is actually the only line right now that's actually been a consistently good line in five-on-five play. Again, if it wasn't for some absolutely terrible shooting luck for Wayne Simmons and, to a lesser extent, uh, Travis Zajac, you know, that line would be more productive and we'd be going, all right, well, the Devils have a top line and it, is, and it isn't exactly who you thought it would be. Right. But at least they're getting the job mostly done in five-on-five play. They have expected goal for percentages that are above 50%. So at least they're doing the they're doing a lot of good things on the ice overall. And that's a reason why Zajac, Coleman, and Simmons have stayed together as a group. And even though I'm starting to wonder maybe you should just change that up because the other three lines aren't functioning all that super well either. Because again, it's not like Hall is just barely below 50% here. Like he's well below it. Like he, he's in the bottom... You know, he's in the bottom half of of the entire team in some of these stats. And this is a guy who, again, last season on that terrible team, he was one of the few guys who was getting it done in five-on-five play. Scoring, he was doing that. Possession, he was doing that. Expect goals, that too. But for whatever reason, the first nine games of this season, and I understand it's nine games, but we're almost, we're almost an eighth through the season. The season's only 82 games, Dan. Nine games can tell us quite a bit about how things are going, and it ain't looking good. And so if the Devils are going to start turning this season around, they need their best player in Taylor Hall to play like their best player. And they also, you know, it's not just they need better goaltending and they just need better performances all across the line. But Taylor Hall especially has to step it up. And if only for his own personal gain, he has to step it up too. Yeah, so, I mean, that's... A depressing enough tangent, I think. I think we've uh, yeah, waxed we... on how bad this week was and how bad everything is. And to pile on to that, uh, maybe not the worst thing roster-wise, but definitely hate uh, health incidents it's not, like this. But Connor, it's not good news. No, no, it's not good news because he still you know, made the team out of camp, which means he was better than whoever they're going to call up. So Connor Carrick is out for four to six weeks with a broken pinky. Mm. And uh, I mean... Tennyson's already been up, so he's probably going to take that spot. I'm not yeah. sure what else they're going to do roster-wise. They probably don't have to do anything. No, they don't have to make any changes at this moment because, as you said, Tennyson has been up with the team, so and he'll just stick around. I'll guess he goes back down when Butcher's healthy again. Well, they could do that, but again, remember, the Devils are going on a five-game road trip to Western Canada, mm-hmm. and typically you want to keep an extra player or two there because, again, you're going to go to Winnipeg, on Tuesday and then uh, the fifth. So it's not, so it's next Tuesday and then you're going to go Calgary Edmonton on seventh and eighth and then Vancouver on the 10th. So that's four games in six days. So 
you might need to take out a defenseman just for rest mm-hmm. <laughs> or just to recover some bumps and bruises along the way. So Tennyson will just stick around. I, I don't anticipate that they'll send him back just for a game or two in Binghamton and then call him back up for the trip. Mm-hmm. And I yeah, that's the other thing, back. you know, injury wise, it's been pretty all right. Like, yeah, he sure's missed some games, but even the games he's been in, he hasn't been all that effective. Butcher missed no. a few. Green missed a few. And compared to last year, you can't blame injuries for the reason that they've fallen off. They've just, when they've been in full force, even they've been bad. So it's a different yeah. situation this year, but hopefully they don't start piling up like this. But again, the one benefit with having this long break between games is that they get time to heal up on these uh, seemingly minor injuries so far. Absolutely. And again, that's that's why I'm so disappointed in the Arizona game and why, even though on paper, again, you have another schedule-favorable setup because Tampa Bay, I believe, plays on the 29th, the night before the Devils do. Again, you have this extra time to practice. You have this extra time to prepare. And when you, you know, November is coming up, Dan, and they play 15 games in 30 days. So you're not going to have a lot of time for practices. You're not going to have a lot of time to get everybody to say, all right, guys, last game was rough. Let's break this down in detail. It's pretty much get your skating in, get get your most important information out there, and then get on the plane, get on the bus, and travel. Like, that's going to be your life. Oh, and go play some games. That's mm-hmm. what you got to do. So you have all this additional time to prepare for these games, and you're going up against opponents that have been playing recently, whereas you've been resting. So you need to make, take advantage of those situations. And unfortunately, the Devils found a way to snatch defeat from the jaws of victory against Arizona. And even though Tampa Bay is going to be playing the night before and Tampa Bay isn't crushing the league like they did last season, you know, you and I have very little confidence that the Devils are going to get a result in that game. And for good reason. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, we're hoping for the best, obviously. We always do, but there's no reason to believe that it's coming. No, it it isn't. And, 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 you know, know, it's sad because the last time we had this show, we were were in a good mood. You know, the Devils won two games. It was good. But now I feel like those two wins never happened. (laughs) And that's sad because one of which was over our hated rivals and the other was a shutout win with 80 members of the Hughes family in the stands. But that's what happens when you keep blowing games and disappointing the fans. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, uh, that's all I got <laughs> from my end. I'm going to be oh, that depressing bomb show. I mean, it's going to be super great to edit this because I'm just going to be sad and mad at things all over again. But you know what? We, we do it because we do care. And it's clear that people do care because Twitter has been ablaze since pretty much the second period of game one. So. Yeah, you know, all about the jersey. The people have been commenting about this. I'm glad that people are commenting. Um, you know, as long as you're nice to each other. Yeah. Stay nice to other people. That's the thing. Uh-huh. You know, be mad, but be mad at the right things here. Don't, yeah. don't. I can't believe I have to issue this reminder again, but the beat reporters do not set the lineups. They are not responsible for who's playing any given day. If you have issues, write a strongly worded letter so they can burn it in the incinerator of the mailroom. Just don't go after the reporters. Right, and at the same time, Heinz is spelled with a Y. <laughs> I think actually most people know that it's spelled with a Y. I'm I'm not being serious at this moment. Right. But, well, Corey but right. doesn't have but, an E. But keep in mind that your fellow fan is not setting the lineup. Okay, so even if somebody disagrees with you that it's okay if Kevin Rooney and John Hayden get their shifts over Brat and Bokvist, they may be wrong. <laughs> but don't take a personal attack about it. 
don't start a beef with a person because it's not like they're setting the lineup or making these decisions as well. And they're just as unhappy about the team losing as you are, unless they are savvy gamblers and they've been betting against the Devils, which seems like a traitor move for a fan. But mm. when it comes to gambling, you got to put your fandom aside and mm. go go get that bag, so to speak. Couldn't, so. couldn't be me hedging emotionally. No way. No, no. way. No. <laughs> After all, you know, pe- people are very good about being wrong and proven wrong. They, they well, never hedge their bets emotionally. I would love nothing more than to be proven wrong anytime that happens. Well, unfortunately, ever since game one, when I had a guy behind me after the uh, Kulikov goal was scored to make it 4-1, he immediately said, well, the Devils are going to lose this game (laughs) 5-4. And I I couldn't turn around afterwards and say he was wrong because he was right. And that made me sad. That's that's the season. I wish this was a happier podcast, but the Devils aren't helping here. Yeah, well, hopefully they turn things around this week. Uh, the odds are low, but we maintain our faith. And that's been our episode of Garden State of Hockey, the state of which is bad. Hopefully yep. we're back next week with some more wins under the belt or some major changes that go into this massive road trip, which may or may not decide the trajectory of the rest of the season. So no pressure, boys. Just get out there and uh, be less terrible. Yep, that's all we could say at this point. (laughs) All right, well, thanks again for listening. We appreciate it. And, uh, yeah, have a great rest of your weekend. Remember, sports aren't everything, especially when all your teams are bad.